Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. I am your host, John Shipley, joined once again by the man, the myth, the legend, the Nate Hackett fan, Gus Logue. That's that's the last time I wow. We've already gone over this so many times. Fan is a strong word, John, but uh, it's good to be back after one full week. After usually it's been a couple of months between episodes, so. Hey, I, I, I told you, be more consistent with recording, so I have to string you along for at least a, a little bit. Yeah, well, so we'll see how long we both are along for the ride, but right now I'm just kind of waiting uh, to hear back for job opportunities, so I'm doing a lot of waiting around, so it's a good, it's a good time for me to hop on. Yeah, well, a- anybody who hires Gus is going to be lucky, you know, as long as they can keep his takes contained there, they will <laughs> be better off, but I mean, we're, we're happy to be back. I'm, I'm impressed by us having the awareness to not record on Valentine's Day like we potentially talked about once I looked at my calendar and I realized what the day was probably best push it back into Tuesday and luckily nothing you know at all has happened you know in terms of official announcements or anything like that so I mean you know from that standpoint we're in the same boat now that we were you know a week ago right yeah I mean just a little bit of Super Bowl talk that we could go through I guess but as you said not much has happened yeah to the Jags No, it, it, it feels like, you know, they made their head coach hire and then they're like, okay, you know, we appeased you all with this piece of news. We we will go back, <laughs> crawl, in, crawl into our, our bunkers now and, you know, get ready for the offseason. But 
of course, you know, the offseason has now officially begun. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are officially on the clock. If you want to get into semantics and, you know, they won't be on the clock until the draft actually begins. That's yeah. That, and, you know, Trent Baalke isn't actually sitting on a grandfather clock either. You know, there's, there's no, there's no point to get technical about this, but I, I do think, you know, the Jaguars, much like last offseason, you know, we talked about this last week, the difference in the feeling of having the number one overall pick. It, it does not feel at all like the start of the offseason felt like last year. Like, you know, last year when, you know, the Super Bowl ended, it seemed like, you know, attention completely turned to, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, what are the Jaguars going to do? And now, you know, if, if I didn't cover the Jaguars, I'd be hard-pressed to know what pick they actually held in this draft. I, I, I feel like just, like, collectively, the NFL – as a whole, and you know, NFL media does not care about really the number one pick in this draft, and that that is just uh, like I mean, even going through Super Bowl week, you know, during last year's Super Bowl week, you heard about the Jaguars on number one pick quite a bit. I n- nobody's talking about, you know, to all respect everybody, nobody's talking about Evan Neal or Aiden Hutchinson on on Radio Row. Right. Well, at least it's interesting a little bit in a different way this year because there's not really a consensus number one pick. Because Lawrence was kind of a consensus number one for years. But this year, I mean, it kind of looks like everyone's kind of leaning towards Evan Neal. And I think most people would agree that Jax is probably going to go for a tackle on the offensive side. But with that, with that said, there's a lot that can happen in two months. So Yeah, yeah, no, there, there absolutely is a lot. And, I mean, obviously, you know, the Jaguars are going to – heard these comparisons, you know, all throughout the last couple of weeks – between them and the Bengals, how the Bengals went from picking number one overall to the Super Bowl. The Jaguars, you know, their efforts to try, you know, and they let out a tweet, I think it was yesterday. It was like (laughs) the path to Super Bowl 50-whatever starts now. (laughs) And the replies, I I, I feel bad for the social media manager. The replies were as expected. But, I mean, that's it's it's true in the sense that, you know, their path to actually, you know, getting back to respectability, you know, starts now. The 2021 season – is over or er, er, Urban Meyer, uh, evidently known uh, Super Bowl party guest of Donald Trump. Uh, his era is now in the rear view, and we can get, you know, right to the offseason and Super Bowl reactions. Gus, I mean, Rams 23, Bengals 20, I think. We, you had Rams, right? Yeah, I actually thought Rams were going to win big time. Uh, one I, of the bets I, I had was like an alternate spread of Rams by uh, 10 or more. So clearly that didn't hit, but I was – as, as a viewer, I was definitely happy with how close the game was because it would have been boring if yeah it would have been boring if I was right and I, it was close or not I, close right away. Just in terms of like the game and the actual football being played, I thought it was, you know, like the first half went by really quick. The second half, there are obviously a lot of stakes. I thought it was a really fun game. I just – I thought the atmosphere, it felt like – it felt like a week 12 Monday night football game, you know. Like it just – like it did not feel like it had the prestige of the Super Bowl and – I don't want to say that specifically because the Bengals were in it, but when when I keep thinking of reasons, I'm I'm just like I, I feel like this didn't feel like the Super Bowl specifically because the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, were were, were in it. Right, and the daylight threw me off too because like I mean, it's supposed to be a primetime game. I understand that they're on the West Coast, but kind of I don't know maybe because it's dark here, turning it on, and just it, as you said, it was just kind of underwhelming. It felt like yeah, no, it definitely it it didn't feel like like the magnitude of like the last two Super Bowls. But I mean, you know, there are no players that for as much as people, you know, love Joe Burr. And, you know, I think Joe Burr is awesome, despite some of his more intense fans. I I don't think either one of those guys, you know, comes close to like Mahomes or Brady in terms of 
the star power they bring. I mean, overall, I mean, what were your, you know, impressions, you know, of the Super Bowl? Did you think that, uh, obviously, you know, we agreed that the better team won. Did you think that they got it right with Cooper Cup as MVP? And did anything really surprise you throughout the game? Because, I mean, there, there were a couple of things. That I, like, I was surprised that the Bengals defense uh, held up uh, for as long as it did. Like, I know, obviously, the Rams started out really hot on offense, and then they had injuries. But I just thought one way or another that McVay was going to be able to scheme up more against the Bengals than he was able to. And I was also – I have a McVay take that, Awesome head coach, you know, like clearly a top five offensive mind in the NFL, et cetera. But that dude, Galaxy Brains, at least like every single big game. Like I, not to compare my Madden skills to that of Sean McVay, two-time Super Bowl <laughs> appearing head coach, but I lost a Madden playoff game like two weeks ago by, I was up by like three and I just needed to bleed the clock, but he was like stuffing the middle of the field. So I went empty and tried to throw a screen, just uh-huh. you know, some easy yards and kill the clock. And it yeah. got intercepted, pick six, et cetera. Completely galaxy brand. You know, I should have just should have just handed the ball off. I feel like that's McVeigh in every big game. I feel like every time the camera was on him for like the last like 40 minutes of game time, he he looked like he saw a ghost. <laughs> and I, I was like, this is not like the confident like Sean, like Sean McVeigh, like. I mean, he didn't coach like it at all. You know, I thought all the Cam Akers carries were in. Like, I, I, I felt like Sean McVay, excellent coach, who we still, despite being such a good coach, I still feel like he got willed to a Super Bowl win. Like, I, I, I am not sure exactly what he added to that win. No, I agree. That was going to be the first thing I said with three acres was just it was infuriating seeing all those uh, first down runs go for, it felt like they got five yards on all of them combined. Yeah, a so, long, long carry of eight. Yeah, that is brutal. And so, like, I get that Cam Akers is a little banged up, and Michelle and Henderson are probably. I mean, Michelle's one hundred percent healthy. Henderson might have too at this point, but oh, I always said Michelle. Uh, <laughs> we always I, have one name I'm on this podcast. <laughs> we have no idea how to pronounce it. Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> no, but I feel the same way about McVeigh. Uh, Ben Solak, I just listened to the Ringer show or the Ringer podcast or whatever it's called, and he made a really good point that they had whoever their second tight end is, who I have no idea who that is, but the guy that's after Higby is kind of their blocking tight end. Yeah. And so this guy went down sometime in the second half, and only then is when they kind of went away from all of those ridiculous inefficient runs. And so it was more so because he had to in terms of personnel, because or rather than like just kind of like figuring it out and making an adjustment. And so the lack of adjustment is kind of what cost him his super first Super Bowl. Yeah. And lack of adjustment almost cost him a second one if it wasn't for I mean shout out to whatever random this tight end random tight end this was that got hurt. Um so I definitely agree with you that he got carried a little bit. If I had a vote, I probably would have given given Donald MVP just because like I like Cup I think had two catches before the final drive, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And like and one so, of them was a touchdown, but like I still I felt like Cup like we noticed him for like two drives all game. Whereas right. Donald, I felt like he was a presence every single drive. Yeah, and so like I, like I get Cup that that or I get that Cup kind of made the hero play and was big on the last drive, but Donald was also big on the last drive and made a hero play. But as you said, he was kind of consistent throughout the whole game, or at least more so than Cup. I mean, it's tough for Cup because like he was getting double teamed, especially after yeah. that game went down. So like it's not like he played poorly and wasn't so deserving of the MVP, but I certainly would have given it to Donald, especially if it does end up being his last game. 
What what does this Super Bowl say to you about like exactly how far the Jaguars off? Like just like just like just watching these two teams and like okay, the Jaguars need to do a you know a b and c to get anywhere near these these teams because i mean i thought just looking at the rams i thought i i didn't think the jaguars you know like i like that's like years in the making because i, I know the rams you know they get a, a bunch of credit for finding the star players and bringing them over you know on short deals von miller odell and then trading for stafford trading for ramsey but i think even just like the overall depth of the rams i think you know it's something the jaguars you know in the secondary at linebacker, you know, at tight end, I think it's something that the Jaguars don't have. And, you know, I think if the Jaguars going to mo- want to model anything from the Rams, it's, you know, taking those consistent swings and hitting in rounds, you know, four five and six. So is there anything that indicated to you that, you know, outside Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars are anywhere close to getting <laughs> anywhere near either of these teams? No, because I think one of my biggest takeaways is you got to spend and especially on the defensive side. And we saw yeah. that with, um, the Rams, I mean, more so trading for Vaughn and Jalen, et cetera. Um, and so they ended up having to like sign Weddle off the streets. And so a lot of their defense was depth, was depth. But then on the other side for the Bengals, I think I saw a graphic where seven of their 11 starters mm-hmm. were signed within the past two years. And so, I mean, you got to add some talent somehow. And especially with um, the league, league leading cap space, I think yeah. it's pretty imperative that I mean, they kind of whiffed a little bit last year in free agency adding. I mean, I'm a big Shaquille Griffin fan, but outside of that, like giving Roy Robertson Harris nine year, nine million a year. And then that was essentially it. I mean, Malcolm Brown was a pretty good trade, but he's also like almost a rotation player. Yeah. You like said he start or anything. You said nine year and I had a double take, huh? Nine million. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I got that Mahomes contract. No, I, I, I mean, because like, the Bengals, like, not, you know, like, a couple of those guys are guys they signed, you know, the cheaper deals, but Trey Hendrickson, uh, DJ Reader, uh, you know, Aruzier, none of these guys are guys who came cheap, so I, I'm with you completely. You have to spend in free agency, and I think you have to spend on, like, you know, some of the high-caliber players and not just kind of go, you know, bargain shopping. It felt like, you know, the, the Jaguars, they did end up, you know, in terms of spending last offseason. It, it's, it's so wild because – you don't look at the free agency class and think they're a team that's spent. And then, you know, their overall offseason spending, they were like third or fourth, I think, in the NFL. I, I know Cam Robinson's tag played a part in that. But, I mean, they, they paid a lot of people. And they, in my opinion, overpaid, you know, quite quite a few people, even though, you know, they weren't taking big swings. So, I, I, I'm with you. I think finding those pieces on defense and that, that to me, finding the pieces on defense and finding a number one receiver because there was no time and like any game this year for the Jaguars where in a high leverage situation where they like needed a play that I was like, okay, this is who they can go to, you know, like this is who they need to go to. Marvin Jones was normally the guy they targeted, but I mean, the, the efficiency rate, you know, was not very good. Whereas, you know, the Bengals have, have that guy in Jamar Chase. The Rams have that guy in Cooper Cup. Uh, obviously, there's no Jamar Chase in this year's draft. But, I mean, Cooper Cup wasn't a first-round pick. You know, you have to identify these guys. Uh, T. Higgins, another guy who's a second-round pick, identify the guys and develop them. And that's something to me that the Jaguars, you know, last year, you know, they had all these picks. It was a mistake, in my opinion, even then and more so now to not take a single swing at receiver, because I think that's the one position where, you know, you just keep throwing darts at and hoping, you know, you land somehow. And they didn't, they didn't throw any last year. So I, I think this is a year where you need to take at, 
I think at least two. And I think if you drafted three receivers, I, I don't think anybody would argue it because I mean, you just, you need to find somebody who has a chance at developing into something like, you know, what the Rams have or what the Bengals have. Right. I will say that the one thing that does make me think the Jags could be close to reaching the Super Bowl, as you were saying, is that they have their quarterback because that's been kind of a storyline in the past couple of years. The big obvious one is the upgrade from Goff to Stafford in Los Angeles, but then there's no way the Bengals make the Super Bowl or probably even the playoffs if they don't have Joe Burrow. Now that the Chiefs have their guy, they're perennial like Super Bowl favorites. The Bills have gotten their guy and they're going to be in the same kind of category. Even the Buccaneers had kind of like a loaded roster already. And then when they went from Jameis to Brady, they just were on that tier as well. And so I think for the Jaguars, they can kind of, I don't know, at least they have that pinned down. And yeah. so now it's just a matter of building around him, not just on the offense, because I think the skill position guys are, are just the offense in general is certainly more important, but just building a competing team around him is now, at least you're at that second step and not at ground zero. That's why, I mean, it's so frustrating when you see, like, all the young quarterbacks in the AFC named, you know, Herbert, Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, et cetera. You know, like, I, I think Lawrence, you know, with, with time and development, you know, his talent could be near those guys. It's just his team is, like, yeah. his team is just, like, like, none of those guys were on teams as bad as the Jaguars. I, I think Burrow is probably the closest. But, I mean, even then, the Bengals were a better team last year when Burrow spent half the year you know, with his leg in an air cast than the Jaguars were this year. So I, I'm with you. I do think they have the quarterback, but it's, you know, the rest of it, that's TBD. Uh, I, and then, <laughs> you know, speaking of receivers, I did a, you know, five thoughts as the offseason begins piece. Gus, I want to throw these three names at you and you say yes or no to me in terms of the Jaguars making some kind of move for them as a potential, you know, lead dog in the receiver room. Okay. Amari Cooper. Yes. Calvin Ridley. Yes. A hesitant yes. Uh, you ready for the curveball? Yeah. Kenny Galladay. No. Disgusting. No? I've always been a Kenny Galladay hater. I'm sorry. Really? I, I think he's like, I mean, not at this point, but I feel like everyone, their brother was probably like kind of thought of him as the most underrated receiver in the league. And I always thought he was one of the most overrated. I mean, I think he like maybe could be a good fit with Lawrence just because we talk about that, like, big body catch radius, et cetera, where he Lawrence will be able to trust receiver to go up and get it. But I I don't think Galladay is good, or at least as good as people think he is. What if you could get Kenny Galladay for a fourth round pick? Yes. You would do that? Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I'm getting a pro bowler for a fourth rounder, then yeah. But he's not going to like, I mean, a second rounder. I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so either. I just, I mean, looking at the Giants are, you know, close to being in cap hell. And, no, this isn't a front office or a coaching staff that, you know, signed him. You know, I like you just when I was looking at number like potential fits around the league, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like Galladay is a player that it's not that far out there to see the Giants, you know, potentially, you know, wanting to part with. Right. No, I agree. That's that's certainly one that I haven't heard of. It was like a potential trade rumor. Hey, if if you hear it came from a. (laughs) <laughs> that's right ship these on at first exactly uh ship, um, ship rooms ship rooms uh i would say ridley like in a vacuum i would trade for him but as the jaguars i would not just because like i think taking that swing for a potentially disgruntled player like ridley or someone who's like 
maybe mental health isn't all the way there or whatever situation has been for the past year. Um, I think that's more of like kind of like an already contending team, just like taking a stab and like throwing a day two pick at him and hoping it works out. Like, I don't know if that's really a risk that the Jaguars can take. Yeah. But Cooper is by far and away the one that I think they should go after most in terms of trade candidates because, I mean, I was I wanted to have this conversation with you, but like, I mean, I, I know I just said it, how Lawrence is probably like, uh, a good fit for him would be like a big bodied receiver who can win contested catches. Yeah. But with that said, I like maybe I'm a little biased because I like route running receiver types more. But like I almost think like Lawrence definitely isn't on the same level as someone like Josh Allen, where he's wildly inaccurate. But at the same time, Lawrence's ball placement is again not bad, but probably the worst part of his game just relatively to all the other things he does that are really good. And so I think yeah. getting someone that can consistently win routes and create separation like Cooper Again, will make like Lawrence's easy job easier. Yeah. And so I'd like, there's been a lot of talk about the contested catch guys. Um, but I, I, th- I think route runner is kind of something that they need to go after more. So. Oh no, hundred percent. I think in terms of what their offense is missing, it's guys who can, you know, get open and guys who are athletic and can make it happen after the catch. So I'd agree with you. I, I would think Cooper would be, Right up there with Ridley for me. I I, I mean, w- with Ridley, uh, same, you know, questions, though, maybe not as uh, taboo with it as, as you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the look you're giving me right now. No, I mean, I, I, I think with Ridley, until, you know, unless you're privy to knowing the information, it's hard to say if he'd be a good fit or not. I mean, football-wise, you know, he's a fit for all 32 teams, you know, but right. just in terms of why he's actually not working out in Atlanta, that's a different question entirely. I would assume any team that's trading for him would have already had those kind of internal discussions and discussions with Atlanta and would probably have a good understanding of, okay, if we trade for him, you know, this is a place he'd be comfortable in. But Cooper, like you said, you know, I, I think he would come with less, less red flags. I think the Cowboys would trade him. I mean, did, did you see what Jerry Jones said about him after the wild card game? No, what do you say? I'll pull it up, but, I mean, Jerry Jones, you know, he obviously says a lot. I mean, he's the only owner with, you know, his own own radio uh, appearances each week. You know, like, I, I know people complain that Shot Khan isn't covered like Jerry Jones because Jerry Jones covers Jerry Jones. Let me let me see. Okay. All right, here we I go. I will say – okay, go ahead. No, no you go ahead. So you got to I was just going to buy you time, and I was going to say um, that – like, I think part of Cooper's just disgruntlement in Dallas is that he's just, like, not a big part, a big enough part of the offense. And so, like, part of that kind of makes sense. We have CeeDee Lamb yeah. and Tony Pollard and whoever the other running back is. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, but, I mean, come to Jacksonville, soak up 11 or 12 targets a game, please, because I think everyone would do that in a heartbeat. Amari Cooper yeah. is still definitely a good football player. It's not like he's, like, kind of getting near the end of his prime and, like, Maybe we want to eat up his contract because it doesn't make sense to keep him. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, I think, I think his targets just went down. I mean, he had 68 catches for 865 yards and eight touchdowns. And his dead cap is going to drop from 28 million to 6 million when the league year begins. So let's see. Okay. Here, here's what Jones said. Uh, it was on the Friday following their loss to the 49ers. Said, I don't have any comment on Cooper's contract. I thought the way we were playing early when we did make something happen, I thought Cooper had a big part of it. And I'm not being trite, but how he fits in, he should take half the field with him when he runs around, not half. <laughs> half is an exaggeration, of course. 
but a whole bunch of that defense should have to honor Cooper, and he ought to be able to catch it in the middle of when they're going with him. Others do. You throw to people that are covered all the time in the NFL. You have to. Most people don't have the numbers of receivers we've had. So that's obviously not him saying something black and white, but, I mean, it seems like more pointed criticism than it is, you know, hey, Amari Cooper's awesome. We love his fit in the offense. Right. And, I mean, I certainly haven't gone into a lot of Cowboys tape or watched every single game or anything like that. But from what I can tell, as I was saying earlier, he's still a great player. And so, I mean, I like it's it's also something that like I like I'm sure the Falcons would rather not trade Ridley because then they're going to be starting Russell Gage sure. and my sister uh, every Sunday. But like it's it's almost like a luxury for the Cowboys because they still have CD, they still have Cedric Wilson. It's possible that Gallup comes back even though he's a free agent this year. What's what what's their forty time? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> um, probably a seven. Well, between her and the Zach Goodall quarterback that you floated, <laughs> you floated out there earlier. That was that was rude of you, but you know, I, I, I what, what, what would you ultimately like? What, what's a compensation that you would give up for Cooper? I mean, obviously, you're not giving up number one overall, are you? No, no, I'll trade. I'll trade. Um, a 2023 second rounder would be my offer. Ooh, not 2022 second rounder. No. Partly because, like, just a little bit of galaxy brain. I'm assuming that the Jaguars aren't going to be picking first every single year. And so, hypothetically, a future second rounder will be a few spots lower than the current one. But then also, I mean, I, th- I think you just got to, like, kind of build around Lawrence and the rest of the team as soon as possible. And so, if you can kind of push back that compensation, then might as well. So, that would be what I would do. What about a... Third rounder this year, you know, the Panthers pick that they got from the CJ Henderson trade, so number 70 overall, and then mm-hmm. a future second rounder. Yeah, I'm not sure if they would do it for a future second rounder. Yeah. Uh, that one makes me, makes me hesitate a little bit more, but I, I think I, I would still pull the trigger on it. You you need talent in general in Jacksonville, but especially at receiver, and so yeah. I think it would be worth, still be worthwhile. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think I think I would do that. Well, with with that in mind, I uh, guess there any any you know part, parting shots in terms of the Super Bowl, anything like that that you would like to you'd like to go over, my friend. Uh, well, it made me pretty sad just for selfish reasons that there was rumors of Donald uh, potentially retiring after this game. Same. Because I kind of I kind of understand uh, his perspective where he's kind of done everything in his career up to this point except for winning. So now that he's done that. You can almost look at it as just, he can con- obviously continue just rack up the accolades and the raw numbers, but there's nothing else he has left to prove. Um, but he's such a good, good and fun player to watch that it would just suck for football fans if he retired. Um, but selfishly, I kind of do want McVay to retire because there's also rumors of that just because, I mean, I'm sick of the Monday night football booth. So if I can actually unmute that, then that'd be pretty sweet. I feel like he'd be sick in the booth. Yeah, I feel, like like, I feel like he'd be awesome. I think he'd be another Romo, which is like a huge compliment. I think Romo's awesome. Yeah. It seems like some people have been getting kind of sick of Romo, but I love it. I do too. I um it it's it's funny. I literally, you know, like in like the minutes after the game ended, I had a tweet. It was like in '99, don't retire, McVeigh. I would get it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on the I'm on the same wavelength as you. It's like it's like such a weird like great area for me where I think McVay is a top five coach and he's a great coach. It's just every time he's in a big game, not even the Super Bowl, but even the playoffs, like 
he did that weird challenge thing against the 49ers. Like, I'm not sure if you remember it, but him and the 49ers and Shanahan just completely galaxy brain back to back in the last like four minutes. And I'm like, because like, this guy is like somebody playing Madden and panicking, but I'm, I, I, I'm with you. I, I hope Donald doesn't retire for selfish reasons, but I mean, if he does, I mean, what, what a career, you know, best, best player that I've ever seen, you know, in my lifetime, I don't think that's hyperbolic. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say he's in the Reggie white, you know, Lawrence Taylor, uh, you know, arena. I, I, I do think it would have been nice for him to get more than three defensive player of the year votes and, <laughs> you know, what could be his write off, but I even a Super Bowl MVP, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm hoping we see Donald again next. Say this, you know, this Rams team came back sans Donald. Where do you put them in terms of, you know, pecking order? Do you think they're a Super Bowl like favorite? No, definitely not. Especially because like Miller and Beckham are free agents too. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come back, especially Beckham since he got hurt, maybe just like on a cheap one year deal. But I mean, Donald is such an important part of what that defense does, obviously up front. But I mean, they're able to do all of those like kind of two high structures and zone defenses that everyone's been obsessed with talking about since Brandon Staley was there in large part because they yeah. can get pressure with just four or five rather than setting like ridiculous blitzes like we've talked about with Bull slash Caldwell and Colin slash Martindale. Yeah. Um, and so I would, I would say they would be a fringe, like they would be a wild card contender in my eyes. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, since you mentioned that, that's another guy that deserves credit is uh, Raheem Morris. I feel like, you know, last couple of years, been one of the better, you know, defensive coordinators. Just, I mean, he he made the Falcons look, you know, like a solid, if unspectacular defense with a far below average roster. And then, you know, obviously what he did to help the Rams get over the hump this year, I think was, you know, really impressive. So um, I, I, I'm with you really on all of that. I, I think, you know, aside from obviously the Hall of Fame, the big news to happen around the NFL within the last week or so was the Hall of Fame announcements. Uh, several players announced the Hall of Fame, you know, Sam Mills, Leroy Butler, uh, Dick Vermeil. But the Jaguars, they get their first Hall of Famer in. Former left tackle Tony Bazzelli played seven seasons with the team, played 91 career regular season games. I think he was a three- or four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, first team all pro team of the decades in the 90s which is surprising considering you know he played barely half of that decade you know the Jaguars started playing in 95 Gus what, what were you what was your overall reaction to seeing Bazzelli you know made part of this year's uh you know really group of inductees I know you know he was before really you know our time in terms of his peak playing days, but I mean, just in terms of big picture impact, I mean, I, I thought to me, him making the hall of fame obviously meant a lot for the Jaguars as an organization. You know, he is their first pick. He's still to a lot of people, the greatest Jaguar ever, you know, he still has a tight role with the team, you know, tell the truth Tuesday, had that classic, you know, uh, spot. And I just think that overall though, him getting in there, I think, I think the Jaguars needed, like some some actual evidence that you can spend your peak and your career in Jacksonville and still make the Hall of Fame. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, my biggest takeaway was just that uh, it's been kind of sucky, I guess. Sucky is an awful word, but it's been sucky uh, that Jacksonville had to wait 20 years for a Hall of Famer. But 
it might be even worse. They're going to have to wait another 20 years just because that's going to be around the time when Ramsey gets in. And I, I don't know. I don't see Fred Taylor getting in, honestly. Do you think there's a possibility? Uh, I, know, I, I saw online a couple of days ago that like maybe because there's kind of like some weak classes coming up, especially at running back, he'll be able yeah. to sneak in. And I think one of the good arguments for him is that he has so many total career stats where like the league right now is kind of going towards like not as much workhorses and there's a lot of split backfields and stuff like that. Sure. But I, I would definitely bet against him ended up ending up making it, even though I do think he is a Hall of Fame copper player. I, it, it's been so like odd to me to see him get like, really no national support for the hall of fame because i mean you know i know playing in the jaguars market and overall not having you know i i think what well, he, he made one pro bowl in his career i believe you know overall just not having that many accolades is going to hurt you but like you said just looking at his total resume and his total stats you would think that he's a guy who would kind of fit that bill it's i'm i'm not sure you know if Fred is a guy that would get in. I think he has a better shot than, uh, you know, any other player. I think Jimmy Smith is another guy that deserves consideration, but I would think Taylor would get in before him. But I do think it's a positive thing that the Jaguars collective, you know, not just the organization, but the people within the community, I guess, and the people who cover the team can kind of turn that focus next to guys like Fred and Jimmy you know, and other guys, because I mean, everybody knows Bazzelli, you know, was deserving of being in Canton, you know, no matter what side you're on the debate about his longevity, everybody knows, you know, as a player caliber wise, you know, he's somebody who belongs in the hall of fame. So I feel like it was just a, you know, it was kind of a, like, who are you debating with, you know, when you're arguing it? And, you know, obviously the voters felt a specific way, but I didn't really feel like there were that many people who were vocally, you know, like, no, this guy doesn't belong in the hall of fame. So it would be nice, at least in my opinion, to see some of that support, you know, go to other guys. I mean, like you you, you mentioned it. Do, do you see – here's a question I'd pose for you. Do you think Tom Coughlin is deserving of a Hall of Fame nod? Took yes. over the expansion Jaguars, took him to a couple AFC championships, won two Super Bowls as a head coach, and then took the same Jaguars team to an AFC championship, and we'll forget about the dismal two years after that. Yeah, no, I would say so because, like, without Tom Coughlin as part of the chapter in Jaguars history, I feel like the just like overall franchise record would be 200. And then, especially <laughs> even without that, uh, I mean, just like, I mean, I think there's a lot of debate, or there's going to be a lot of debate about Eli Manning getting into the Hall of Fame, which I don't think he's a Hall of Fame caliber player, but he's got so much legacy on his side because he beat. Bill Belichick's and Tom Brady's Patriots in the Super Bowl twice. So you could say the same thing about Coughlin and just in terms of kind of how he'll be remembered. So I, I definitely would see Coughlin making it, or at least I would vote for him to be in it. I, I Would you say he has a better case than Fred Taylor? Like if you had to say for next Jaguar to get in there? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Yeah, I, I'd probably agree with you. And like I said, I just I thought the Bozzelli Hall of Fame thing was so noteworthy because – you know, I was a guy who he, every down of his career, he played for the Jaguars. You know, we're not counting that training camp he spent with the Texans. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, and, you know, this was a guy who, even though all of his career was spent in Jacksonville and all of his post careers has been spent in Jacksonville, he was still able to get enough national recognition because that's what's needed to get into the Hall of Fame. You know, no matter the strength of the class, 
to get in there, which I I think says something because I really do think, you know, the size, you know, of the Jaguars market and I'd say overall their, you know, lack of success are the biggest reasons that, you know, their players don't give get enough of the credit they deserve sometimes. Right. I'll I would say that like if people are wondering if Baselli will kind of help future Jaguars to get into the fame because he's already in, so now there's kind of a precedent. You can say, oh, like now we can kind of add more guys from that organization. I almost feel like it's the opposite because, like, if I was a voter, I'd say, like, this team has been around for 25 years and they have they no one in the Hall of Fame. So, like, it would be kind of a cool story if they finally got one. But now that that's kind of happened, now now I'm not, like, kind of throwing that, like, almost – pity vote i guess yeah where um or just like kind of that storyline is just like not there anymore and so the next jaguar that's going to make it is going to make it solely because he's a hall of fame caliber player coach or uh executive or whatever so, so say we're not counting you know say fred taylor tom coughlin don't make it so we don't count jalen ramsey as it because I mean, we know Jalen won't count. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not positive Jalen would mention Jacksonville in his acceptance speech. So say you're not counting Jalen, even though they drafted him and he spent got his first All Pro there. Do they have another like Hall of Famer in the next 20 years? You think? I mean, Lawrence would have to be there, and even then, I mean, I think the dude's going to be awesome, but I'm not going to say he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think. I mean, we both think that Lawrence is legit, even after a you could say underwhelming rookie year. And so that's like the kind of the young guy you'd say off the top of your head. I can't really think of anything outside of Calais Campbell, which I mean, I don't think he'll, I think he'll probably be a finalist, but not actually make it into the hall. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think, you know, it, another guy I know people mention is NJD, but I don't think he, you know, for as good a Jaguar as he was, I don't think he has really a shot. So I agree with that. I think it's either, Fred Taylor and Coughlin slash uh, accepting the awkward situation of Ramsey slash, <laughs> you know, hoping Trevor Lawrence is as good, you know, as you think he is, which, you know, it, it says a lot about the Jaguars that they drafted in the top three and top five all these years, which is where, you know, you're supposed to get these types of Hall of Fame caliber players. And the only one they got just won a Super Bowl ring for a completely different organization and oh boy does that Jalen Ramsey trade look worse and worse every every passing day you know like, like I still think you know at at the time that it's good compensation you know getting two first round picks for a guy who doesn't want to play for you but right. when you look at Jalen Ramsey versus Chase on and ETN that is that is just my goodness I mean zero career snaps for it at the end, and what two career sacks for Chase on both first times? Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Moving moving uh, on to the Jaguars front <laughs> office. 
there there was uh, some movement in the front office uh, last week. It wasn't the movement everybody you know thought it would be. Uh, senior personnel executive Tom Gamble left the Jaguars to join Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, I believe, as his director of player personnel. I'm not positive what that role does in college, but hey, I, I also learned this month that some college programs have general managers. So, you know, what what you do with that, what you may not, not exactly sure what he's going to do. But I mean, I, I thought that was an interesting move, Gus, because to me, that was one guy who, you know, he joined the organization last year on the heels of Trent Balky getting hired as general manager. He he worked with Balky in San Francisco. Uh, he clearly is somebody who Balky had a lot of trust in and a good relationship in. And he were he was, you know, a pair of eyes and ears that, you know, he really trusted. I don't think there are many voices that, you know, Balky would really, you know, take too much into account and credit. I do think Tom Campbell Campbell was one of those voices. Was it surprising to you at all to see, I I know, you know, only there for a year wasn't really in the spotlight, but was it surprising to you to see somebody who, you know, at at least in my opinion, was the team's de facto assistant GM kind of leave them for college. And I I say this with the context of he's worked for Harbaugh at Michigan before, you know, like he's, he's, I think he was like assistant to the head coach or he like, he's worked closely with him before. What surprised me was the fact that he, left after being back in the NFL for a year. I, I thought if Arbaugh got an NFL job, Gamble would have followed him. I didn't think Gamble would go back to, to college. Did it surprise you at all? Not too much, partly because, as you said earlier, he like wasn't really in the spotlight, so it's not like it was Tom Coughlin being EVP and then leaving, which was obviously a pretty, um, I don't know, just big <laughs> departure because yeah. it was just it was every, every media source. Um, and so like, I think like my biggest takeaway is just that there's now a spot available because it's not like there's assistant GM, like with just like a blank name necessarily, but at the same time, now you definitely need a, someone that's going to be below bulky and be someone that's going to like actually give uh, senior advice sort of, and be, I don't know, just kind of a old guy. That's gonna, (laughs) a senior guy that gives advice. And so, yeah. Like now the Rick Spielman thing has been like so quiet for so long that like it's fair for people too to be quiet. like, well, too it's too quiet. Yeah. It's fair for people to be like, well, is it really happening? But I think that Gamble leaving will at least at least opens the door for something to happen. Like we'll yeah. see if Spielman ends up happening or if EVP even ends up happening, even though Khan did say in the presser that they filed for that position to be able to be filled. Um, but so now I'm just interested to see who who's going to be that replacement for Gamble. And then if it's going to be another quote unquote balky guy, or if maybe Peterson tries to get someone that he knows. Yeah, no, that was the, that was the same impression I had that, you know, like I said, Gamble didn't have the title of assistant general manager, but I think you look at, you know, bulky's relationship with him and the structure of the Jaguars front office. I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, he was as close to being a number two to bulky as, you know, one could get. So like you said, that, you know, that door is open now, you know, if they want to add an assistant general manager, it's not stepping on anybody's toes any longer. So I definitely agree with you. I think that, and the fact that bulky just lost the voice he knows and he trusts in the front office is noteworthy just because I mean, I'm free agency is what in like 29 days, like combines in like a week and a half. But who's counting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the combines <laughs> in a week and a half right now, you know, this is, this is Trent bulky's off season, you know, it, it's his show. So, to me, him losing, you know, like a top lieutenant like that is 
noteworthy, especially at this point in the offseason. I mean, are you surprised at all that, you know, we're having the same conversation this week that we had last week where there's still no movement yet made on the front office? Because I, I, I did think by now they would have announced somebody in some fashion. I, I didn't think we'd be a week removed and we were still waiting to hear anything. Uh, I'm not super surprised like this week compared to last week. Uh, and that's mostly just because the full coaching staff hasn't been officially released. And so once the coaching staff is officially released by the team website and social media, and if there's not Rick Spielman's name or just an EVP on that list, then I'll be surprised and then I'll have takeaways. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. And you know, what, what a fair and balanced way to look at it. I, I, think you know that that's probably an approach a lot a lot of people could take because i know the there have been you know towns burning and villages being pillaged over you know rick spielman not yet being announced but you know what what can you really say at this point other than wait and see uh and you know just moving on to the offseason that you know bulky is now in charge of i mean what what do you think are the biggest questions facing the jaguars in this offseason, guys, I'll, I'll give you mine. And I, I just want to see, you know, if, if we're on the same page, I think obviously adding to the receiver room and how do you find a number one receiver in a market that, you know, number one receivers don't grow on trees. Teams aren't normally looking to give them up and it normally costs quite a bit in the draft to find them unless you draft and develop a guy like, you know, cup or Devonte Adams. And I think aside from that, the questions are, what do you do on the offensive line? Uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Walker Little, but do you start him at left tackle? Do you draft a guy number one overall to play left tackle? Do you keep Cam Robinson? And then, you know, you have two guards up for contract. You have uh, centers, questions at center, questions at right tackle. Just, I mean, what does your offensive line look like in week one? And then other than that, I think it's what can you do to help Lawrence personally develop as a quarterback? I think, you know, just looking at his production last year, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Obviously, I don't think he played as bad as his production was, but you need to, you know, you're not winning games with that kind of production. The Jaguars, they need to turn that production around if they want to start winning football games. So how can they do that, you know, with their quarterback-focused coaching staff? And then finally, the last question I have is just – how, how what can they do to add playmakers, you know, up front? Because that, that to me was – one of the biggest, you know, faults of the defense last year was, you know, they league low in turnovers, you know, they weren't very high in sacks or tackles for loss. They just, they were a defense that, you no, know, they were a bend defense that also broke, you know, they, they, they <laughs> didn't make many big plays. And, you know, I think they had seven turnovers all season. And I think turnovers goes a lot with, you know, your front four, you know, both in terms of them creating their own turnovers and them setting up turnovers for other players. So, how can you address that this offseason, you know, with potentially not using the number one pick on a pass rusher? So th- those are, I think, the, the biggest questions facing them. I mean, do you see anything uh, differently? No, I mean, the obvious ones are, as you said, offensive line and wide receiver and how they build on that and around that. And then, I mean, obviously, who's going to be the number one overall pick and kind of what the focus is. Um, I would add to the, like the offensive part that you were talking about. I'm really interested to see what they do to add to the tight end room this year because yeah, tight too. end has been kind of a weakness for about all franchise history. As much as I love those <laughs> Mercedes Lewis eight yard tight end screens. Um, and he's definitely a great blocker, but tight end is and feels like it always will be a need. And so 
there's certainly um, I think it's a pretty strong draft class for tight end, but there's actually a surprisingly good amount of free agents available. I mean, Zach Ertz is kind of the obvious connection with Peterson, but then Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys is, has a pretty good all around game. And then Engram is finally a free agent. Uh, he and David and Jugo are both free agents actually. And they've both been like, trade rumor players uh, for years like nobody, now i feel like i feel like no two players that had more trade articles written about them yeah exactly um i think there's like one other that i saw that i can't think of off the top Mike of my head but those are Zeki is a free agent yeah that's another good one and so there's some pretty solid ones that you can find in free agency and then I, like i said i think it's supposed to be a pretty solid draft class um but tight end is what you gonna say i think hayden hurst is a free agent <laughs> Time's former, a flat circle, isn't it? Former Jaguars first round pick, and in, in yeah. a different world, mm-hmm. in a different world. universe. Yeah, uh, and so that's tight end is going to be a big deal, not just because it's a position of need in Jacksonville, but just because of Peterson's offenses as part of the Andy Reid tree. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just a lot of focus on two tight end sets, getting the running backs and tight ends involved in the passing game, and so that's that's kind of like one under the under the radar position that I'll definitely be kind of keeping an eye on. And then outside of that, I'll be more interested in the strategy as much as the, or the, I was as much interested as the process over the results of what players end up getting added to Jacksonville in both the draft and free agency, like whether it's a bunch of kind of value picks and people who are coming off of injuries, to try to get some value um and like not spending a lot of money so kind of similar to last year where it's kind of clear that it's balky's game plan or maybe they're going to be a lot more aggressive maybe they're gonna just go completely full offense try to surround surround trevor and they'll just figure out the defense later and so maybe they'll just do kind of best available and see where that takes them and so what what their apparent strategy is going to be and what it ends up looking like is a big interest to me uh I would definitely agree with that. I got I got one more for you that I should have added. Okay. Josh Josh Allen's fifth year option. Do you, the Jaguars finally pick up a fifth year option? You know they've they've never picked up one of these fifth year options. Like I I don't remember who the first player. I think Bortles was the first. Bortles. Player. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was. My, they, didn't, that was my they, they didn't pick his up because you know they signed they extended him foolishly. Uh, they didn't pick up they didn't pick up Fowlers. They didn't pick up Ramseys. Obviously not for Nets, Taven Bryans, but not even like not even worth joking about. Josh Allen, do they pick up his fifth year option? I mean, is it possible to extend on the season, this offseason, I mean? Uh, I because he would be would he be playing on his I don't think so. But he would be playing on his fifth year in twenty twenty two, right? No, it'd be his fourth year. It'd be his, okay. Well, regardless, uh yeah, it'd be his either Either way, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up his fifth-year extension yesterday because, yeah, I mean, there's only so much homegrown talent in Jacksonville, and so fans are going to be griping even that, again even that's for putting someone to slip out of their hands. 15, 16 million, and this is just me completely guessing on what the number might look like. 15, 16 million in 2023, you'd be comfortable paying him that? I would give him, like, 18, which would be yeah. an overpay, but, like, I, I, think I, would, I, would, be, I would rather be in the – same situation where they have too many good players and too at, much halfway story about than the Jaguars where they don't have any good players at, at some point space. at some point you got to resign somebody <laughs> right at, at some point you gotta you gotta keep somebody and I, I think you know Alan 
you know, he's off, you know, he's not Nick Bosa or Miles Garrett or anything like that, but he's a good pass rusher. You know, he's a good NFL player. So I agree with you on that. Okay. Two, two more. Uh, Should the Jaguars re-sign DJ Chark? Yes, I'm definitely, I think Chark has been, well, obviously he's been a little bit volatile in recent years, but I think he's one of the more talented uh, drafted Jaguars that the team has seen in the past five years. And like I just said, I know there's a lot of volatility with that. And a lot of people kind of cite injuries, which has certainly happened. But a big part of that also is quarterback play. And so, like, I remember when Jake uh, Jake Futon or Glutton or whatever his name is went in for Minshew, I was pretty excited by it. Not because I actually think he's a good player, which he has shown that he isn't, but he actually has some pretty decent arm strength. And so I thought that would be able to cater to Chark's deep threat ability more. And so... We were only able to see four games of Chark and Lawrence last year, and they were still pretty clearly trying to work out the kinks of chemistry. I mean, Lawrence and his receivers were trying to do that for the whole year. Um, but I think I think even though Chark did make a Pro Bowl a few years ago, like his ceiling hasn't even been getting close to being touched. And so I would 100% re-sign Chark. I, I would understand if people don't want to sign him to three-plus years, but I think like – I mean, first of all, just the fact that there's not a lot of weapons in Jacksonville, you got to take the guys that you can. Yeah, it's better to have too many than too little. But I'm I'm definitely a fan of Chark's game, and I think that he can be not like not necessarily like a tier one receiver, like uh, like Adams or Hopkins or something like that. But I think he can be a team's number one receiver if everything kind of breaks right. But I mean, best case, he's probably a solid number two. You think he could be on the Robert Woods tier? Obviously, different types I think, of players, but I think you know, you know I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think that's like in his range of outcomes. I would say whatever, like whatever is the tier below Rams, Robert Woods is what I would say. Like, I can see Chark being mostly. <laughs> what other Robert Woods is there? Buffalo Robert Woods, where he uh, was just like injured and not super productive. Fair enough. To LA and he's been a monster. I, I'll be honest, I've been completely you know conditioned to the point where i completely forgot he was ever in buffalo oh yeah for no reason i was like did he play for a team other than i've completely forgotten that he was a second round pick for buffalo like it was like the year after they took sammy Watkins, i think yeah i was just gonna say if we're telling man stories i was just i was just playing man 15 with my roommate the other day and i was at bills and i was like man this team is fun because they got they had tyrod who can run which is always good man they had shady Charles Clay just caught everything for some reason. They had, and then on the outside, they had Watkins, Bobby Trees. And I think they had a third, Percy Harvin, like for some reason, was in <laughs> Buffalo. And so it was a really fun man team to play with. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think I would also, you know, retain Chark. You know, it obviously the question hinges on what his market looks like. But I think if the price is right, I would also keep Chark just because. You know, I think if you're the Jaguars, you're not really in a position to let, you know, athletic, previously productive players with high ceilings walk away, especially at receiver. I just I wonder if Chark would want to return to Jacksonville. That's my question. You know, that's uh, did, did you hear the radio interview he gave uh, a couple weeks ago where 
he uh, i don't remember who gave it i know uh, espn and brent martin on them played it i don't remember where he gave the interview but you know he was asked about returning to jacksonville and the first things he talked about was wanting to win so i i think it's obvious that you know winning 15 games in four seasons since being drafted that's not something most players would want to return to you know especially you know everybody who signed him everybody who drafted him everybody who coached him you know in the first couple of years of his career They've all been fired. So if I'm DJ Chark, I, I, if I'm just reading the, the tea leaves, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Chark didn't have that much interest in returning to Jacksonville. But I think if you're the Jaguars, he is a guy who you should try to, you know, say, hey, things are going to be different over these next, you know, couple years. So I, I do think he's somebody I'd bring back. What about Cam Robinson? Would you bring Cam Robinson back who, you know, statistically had the best year of his career probably in 2021, but a market – that after Toronto Armstead, there aren't that many enticing starting left tackles. So he may, you know, come at a heavy price. Is Cam Robinson somebody you return and then just pick pass rusher with the number one pick? Or do you let Cam hit the open market and put Walker Little at left tackle or put Evan Neal or whoever at left tackle? Yeah, no, I think you ride with uh, Walker Little at left tackle and you let Cam walk just because, like, his fit with the team is just so uncertain. Like if little wasn't drafted last year, then I think it makes a lot of sense to say like, hopefully we get Armstead in free agency. If not, we're going to franchise him at the very least to make sure we kind of have a contingency plan. But now with little in the fold, the possibility of still being able to sign Armstead if you really want to. But then as we've discussed, it looks like it's going to be a tackle at number one overall for the Jaguars. They still have Taylor. I just think that like, his fit just doesn't – it doesn't really seem like he has a natural spot left on the team, and I don't think it's really worth paying him 16 a year or whatever it is to just kind of hang out and, like, maybe play, like, a little bit of guard and see how that works and whatever. Yeah. So I would, I would just kind of let him walk and look forward to getting the third or fourth round comp pick in a couple of years. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not franchise tagging him again. I know, you know, there have been some people who are probably like, what about, you know, tagging training him? And I'm just – I'm not sure – Cam Robinson. That's kind of interesting to me just because like he hasn't necessarily be, been good, but like like you said, outside of Armstead, there has not I I mean Orlando Brown might make the open market, but you I mean, were right. Still, you were right about Orlando Brown, by the way. He is he was terrible in, <laughs> in Kansas City. I, I whiffed on that one. Oh no, I whiffed too. I was trying I was, oh, I, was okay. I was an I, advocate for Jacksonville okay. trading for him. Just we'll, because I was tired of Robinson. Same. Okay, don't listen to this podcast then. We were, <laughs> yeah. we were we'll both, cut, cut that, cut that. Yeah, cut obviously. That obviously uh lawrence is in mahomes and you know he doesn't drift back but good lord every time orlando brown passed pro passed pro in 2021 i felt like my take powers were decreasing <laughs> but I, yeah, it was not a fun watch but i mean people like made the good point of like him going from the ravens run heavy downhill yeah. system to the chiefs and like it made sense in theory and then that's exactly what ended up happening yeah no and you're right and I think Jacksonville fans probably do underrate Cam Robinson in like a league wide scale. You know, I think if you ask the Jaguars fan, they would tell you Robinson's probably like a bottom 10 starting tackle. When in reality, he's probably closer to, you know, being a top 15, top 16 starting left tackle. That's more of a testament to, you know, the strength of left tackle play in the NFL because I right. think he's probably, you know, around average. But I do think that, you know, I, I, I think Carolina would pay him a lot. I think Miami would potentially you know, pay him. I just, I wonder if teams would give up a pick to pay him. Kansas city do it again. 
I think that's actually like kind of a decent fit because he's more of a pass blocker, I'd say. And he's just like, he's like this athletic 25 year old left tackle. And so if you can like work on his technique a little bit, especially because I think Kansas City has got a really good O-line coach, then I mean, I'm just looking forward to him going to some team with like a great coach and him yeah. just being a pro bowler and everyone yeah. in Jacksonville crying. Well, that's that's a very fair point because I mean, I've I've definitely have gotten gotten tweets that, you know, he's he's a must keep, which I never thought two years ago that there'd be so many adamant fans for that. But moving on to the final part of our show, um, Gus, I'm not sure if you have any new ones, but I do have a few more draft takes from continuing to watch guys. I've uh, now gone to, you know, a couple of the top receivers. And here is what my top five receivers looks like right now. Uh, obviously that will could change with more people I watch and, you know, athletic testing, but I have Drake London, number one, Chris Olave, number two, Jameson Williams, number three, Garrett Wilson, number four, and then Traylon Burks, number five. And I didn't, I didn't give, I didn't give Burks a first round grade. I gave him a second round grade. I was, go ahead. Bur- Burks to me is just like, I, I see the flashes, you know, the ball skills, the size, the speed, you know, like he he's he's like a tank on the football field. And, you know, like he like just his potential as, you know, like a jumbo slot and a guy who can win after the catch and win downfield. It's all so enticing, but there, there are just so many inconsistencies, you know, with his game, with his route running. And, you know, it to, to me, if, you know, you're his size, you know, however big he is, I mean, he's, you know, he looks almost like a like a linebacker size if you know, Arkansas to do so many things to keep him, you know, schemed up and freed up and away from contact. It makes me wonder how successful he'll be at getting open at the NFL level. Cause I mean, you know, this, this was like a 235 pound slot receiver, you know, it, it wasn't somebody they trusted to really put on the outside, you know, time and time again. So uh, Burks to me is, I think in a tier behind those guys. And I think, I think London has, you know, just a ton of potential, you know, I, I think he could be, you know, a better, a better version of, you know, we talked about him earlier, but a better version of Kenny Galladay, you know, that, that, you know, really explosive, long, tall receiver who can, you know, be a contested catch monster downfield, but can also win after the catch. I, I think he's more than just a contested catch guy, you know, I, I because I, I think, you know, you normally you don't see six foot five receivers used predominantly in the screen and the quick game in terms of, you know, their usage. But that's what USC did with London, because, I mean, he's he's dynamic after the catch. You know, you wouldn't think so for a six foot five receiver, but he's explosive. He moves well, good, really good balance, really good strength. So I think if there was a number one receiver in this class, I'd put my money on it being Jake London. What is your Williams ranking? affected by the ACL or is he still three with or without with or without I, I I'm, I'm not factoring in the injury that much I ended up giving him and th- this is you know pre-testing I could obviously hedge and uh, change this but I give him what comes out to being a top 20 grade on my scale because I have it top five top 10 top 20 and then late first slash second etc cetera, etc cetera. okay and you said Wilson was four yeah, Wilson's four. Okay. Well, but I got uh, like Olave, Williams, and Wilson like in that same like kind of tier. All right. Well, we'll see where we compare because that's definitely on the top of my to-do list is the first kind of draft research I do is definitely going to be looking at receivers that could be there around 33. 
it's it's an interesting class i think uh Jahan dawson is you know he's another guy who i i've seen but i still want to do a few more games before i slap an official grade on him i think george pickens is interesting and also hilarious uh <laughs> and I, that, that dude is an antagonizer you know he's like the chauncey gardner johnson of wide receivers so put a camera on him asap when he's in the nfl and i uh, i think david bell is another really intriguing guy but i think bell is actually closer to being that you know, slower possession guy that everybody thinks Drake London is than London is. I know that that was a terrible sentence, but I <laughs> have you seen uh, Sky Moore at all? Because he's one guy that I kind of see mock to the Jags a lot. No, uh, I, I have. I've seen him like, you know, in passing. I, I know I watched especially some before senior bowl, but he's somebody who I feel like it'd be a tough pill to swallow at 33. I feel like he's somebody you pick up like 65. Right. And also, like, there's 18 slot potential slot receivers available every year. So if I'm drafting someone especially that high, it's going to be someone that consistently wins on the outside. And then you got, like, the combination of Agnew and LaVisca to compete. Plus, you can sign, like, Juju for $9 probably, if you really want a dependent guy. Not even looking at his contract. Do you bring Marvin Jones back? No. I don't either. I think he has one year left because I think he signed a two-year deal for, like, 25 total no, roughly no it was like 11 and a half total so okay so like i wouldn't i don't think i would necessarily cut him i mean if there's like a huge spree that happens you want to free up space then sure go for it but i would say definitely don't re-sign him after next year two year 12.5 million nine million guaranteed he has a cap hit of 8.7 million and a dead cap of 5.2 he was simultaneously the worst and best receiver on the Jaguars last year. <laughs> he was so annoying. I, I feel like he's lost his legs. Yeah, which is disappointing because, like, it seemed like in 2020, like, he still had his legs. And so it was just one year. Yeah. No, Four to heat. I'm with you. Well, Gus, you have you have any any more hot takes to send us out the door? Uh, Yeah, I thought earlier, instead of Robert Woods, my – potential for dj chark is t higgins as like a guy because like higgins is more of a z versus chark as an x but in terms of like a downfield big body threat at the number two receiver position that doesn't really have the pressure of just like feasting as the number one guy or just the pressure in general as the one number one guy uh if like i think i think higgins is a pretty good comparison slash hope for what chark could be yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And I mean, I think Higgins would have won Super Bowl MVP if, if the Bengals won that game, too. So, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, when you get a receiver to quality of Higgins, I think that's obviously enticing. And I mean, I, I don't think it's, I mean, both are second round picks. So I think they probably enter the NFL, you know, with similar, you know, floor ceiling type things. It's just one has developed with Joe Burrow and one. Like you so elegantly put, let me see if I still have it up on my screen. <laughs> Are we really citing Chark production stats when his main QB had the same arm strength as Zach Goodall? 10.49 a.m. Good morning to you as well, guys. Uh, shout out Goody. Love you. <laughs> I just saw he replied to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his reply was the best part. Uh, well, uh, that I, I had all my hot takes for one. You know, I... I'll reaffirm it. My hot take is I wouldn't draft Traylon Burks in the first round. 
That is brought to you by the guy who had Jamar Chase as his number three receiver and 15th overall player last year. So go ahead and take that to the bank. You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Hey, Devonta Smith and Waddle ended up in Cincinnati. They would have gone off too. Um, I'm not going to let myself be crucified for that take. It's all good. Well, apparently, McDaniel, the new Miami coach, said today to draft Waddle on fantasy. So that'll get Twitter going for a couple of days. I'm, I'm going to avoid Waddle in every league. There's never been a <laughs> time where a coach has been like, yeah, you're going to want this guy like in fantasy, and it's worked out. Like mm-hmm. I know it's probably only happened like five times, but it is literally disastrous every single time. It's, no, it's, it's so bad. I can't, even, I can't even think of another example, but I know there are examples out there. Uh, Bruce Arians loves doing it with his running backs. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he did. Who? Andre Ellington. Andre Ellington. That, that was. Do you, do you remember him at all? With the Cardinals. Yeah. So yeah, I remember him. Okay. Well, well done. <laughs> now, he was uh, like Clemson running back that took him 2013, and Bruce would say, you know, like, all right, this is his time. You know, this is his year, and then he'd go out and get like three carries. The next right. Year. And it's the same thing he did with Ronald Jones. So, I mean. I was going to say, he did yeah. the same thing with Kayshawn Vaughn, who's also on the Bucks. Like, Who was it? I think the other example I was thinking of is Mike LaFleur, I think, this year, said, like, Elijah Moore or was going to go off one game, and then he ended up catching, like, two passes for 13 yards or something. <laughs> I'm like, there, there's just – you gain nothing from saying that. Mm-hmm. I remember when John Shipley was hyping up LaVisca Chenault during summer summer camp. That is completely different. I'm not the man's coach. That is completely if, – if, if I knew LaVisca's head coach was going to be out in, you know, Columbus bars in the wee hours of the night, I would have I would have adjusted that exponentially. No, I just I only mentioned it because I think it's funny how, like, the whole fantasy community kind of, like, ran with, like, your quote saying – because you, your thing was basically, Visca has looked good in practice, and yeah. everyone else took it as draft yeah. Visca football or draft, draft Visca in fantasy football. So. Yeah, that was, that was my fault. I'm but, excited to see who you cursed this year. Hey, buy all of the Dan Arnold stock you can get. <laughs> Chill out. 30, no, we like Dan 30 Arnold. 30 catches for 210 we yards like Dan and one Arnold. touchdown coming. Sorry, Dan Arnold. You just got shipped. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. Let's we got to end on that. <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us as always. Uh, you can follow me at underscore John Shipley. Gus, give him your at and let's get out of here. G-U-S underscore L-O-G-U-E. No one knows how to say or spell or pronounce my name. So, no, my, it is. my sister is, her last name is, uh, let me rephrase this. She's marrying a guy with the last name Logue. So, her last name is becoming. No way. Logue. Yeah, in November. His L-O-G-U-E? Name, yeah. Yeah. His no way. Yeah, his name's I've David. already never met another Logue, except for yeah. this guy named Brian Logue on Twitter who likes all the Jaguar report tweets. That's, that's his dad. No way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so my, my sister is going to be a Logue. And every time I post uh, one of your stories or something, and it's like, buy whatever Logue. I always get a uh-huh. comment from a family member. Like, who the heck is that? <laughs> like, different people entirely. Different yeah, people no, you don't, you don't need to know about him. Well, thank you guys uh, for listening. As always, me and future brother-in-law Gus Logue are out of here. <laughs>